So, Genesis chapter 15, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you love each person in here, but God, I also thank you that you hate sin. I thank you, God, that you have a, a perfect heart, and you have perfect standards. And God, it's not that you just accept us. Lord, you love us enough to change us into your image. God, I, I, if you weren't perfect, if you weren't holy, I don't know how I would be able to worship you. If you had some flaw or if you could accept a flawed person, Father. And so I, I thank you so much that you accept Jesus, who was perfect, on my behalf. And because of what Jesus has done, Lord, you save me. You offer me his righteousness. You offer me his life in exchange for my own. His perfection in exchange for my flaws. And God, I thank you so much for that. And Lord, I pray that as we spend time now in your word, Lord, that you would draw each one of us the exact way that we need to be. But I pray it would be spiritual. Lord, the mind can be so um, confused. Our minds can get so distracted. Our minds can trick us into thinking what's cool or what's needed or God, what, what you may even want from us. And I pray that your spirit would bring us clarity. And God, I pray for each and every person in here that we would leave without a shadow of a doubt that you have spoken to us today and that you have given us the food, the bread for our souls. And I pray that we would make a decision to feed upon you, that we would take you into us and we would believe with our heart in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, we get to Genesis chapter 15, and today's Bible study is called Dealing with Doubts, Dealing with Doubts. I'm a notoriously impatient man, especially when my kids don't believe me. I don't understand it. Well, I guess I shouldn't have played so many tricks on them as they were growing up. Maybe that would have helped the situation. I, I get it from my dad, though. I don't, I don't claim this part of my personality as being my trait. My dad, his DNA gave this to me because I remember the day that he took out his clothes from it and he set them on the couch like he had been raptured. And, and then when me and my brothers got home and we saw the couches sitting and, and we were like kind of freaked out and he hid in the closet watching us, and then came out laughing when my brother started crying. So that's where I get it from. So now when I tell my kids we're going to go get ice cream or we're going to go do something fun, sometimes they doubt me. And I get impatient about that. Well, this chapter in, in God's Word is about God defeating Abraham's doubts or fixing Abraham's fears, or assuaging Abraham's anxiety. I couldn't come up with any more, but those three are pretty good. Abraham, he, he's living in the promised land now. You know, he, it's, he's in the place that God has told him that he owns. God said, I have given you all this land, but nobody seems to know that. Everywhere Abraham goes, they say, we live here. It seems like God forgot to tell everyone else. 
And so Abraham has had to flee. He's had to fight. He's had to battle. He's had to wander. He's living in tents. He can't even build a house. And I, can, I bet we could imagine, if we put ourselves in his sandals, how he's beginning to feel. He, he just fought and beat, in chapter 14, five kings to rescue his punk nephew, Lot. They could come back with greater armies at any time. They came from Babylon. They had journeyed. He kicked them out. But they could come back at any time. If God is really there, why is my life such a pain? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever had that thought? Why does it seem like all I'm doing is fighting, especially when I'm doing my best to follow you, God? I, I moved out of Ur and faith, Abraham could say. I've been worshiping you. I've been building altars everywhere I've been going, except for that little time I went down to Egypt, but let's not remember that. My wife reminds me of it all the time. I've been others-focused. I'm taking care of my, my nephew, Lot. So why, God? Why is it so difficult for me? These questions have been welling up inside of Abram. And on top of all these questions, there's an apparent silence from God. And I think that's what, what makes me the most upset. And maybe you kind of can uh, agree with me in that is that the silence of God is so frustrating sometimes. God, I'm doing what's right. Why aren't you speaking to me? Why, why aren't you giving me something? Or maybe I'm not going to do something until, God, you tell me something, and, and you just wait and wait and wait. And why is God being so silent? Years go by between messages from God with Abraham it seems like my prayers hit the ceiling and they fall right back down. I remember that you gave me a promise and you gave me direction, but that was a long time ago. And I want you to put, think about this. That was like 15 years ago that Abraham was called out and that God had spoken to him. And he's been living in the promised land for 15 years, just worshiping God, but hardly a new word from the Lord. And all these ingredients over this long period of time is like an oven. And these ingredients are being mixed up in Abraham's heart, and the resulting cake that comes out of the oven is flavored with fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. But that's okay, because God is not angry with Abram, and he's certainly not angry about his fears and his doubts. He knows exactly where Abraham is, and he knows exactly what's going on in his heart, because Abram is not running away. That's the thing that Abram has going for him. The, the wonderful thing that he's been doing is he is staying there. He's remaining with God. He's where God told him to stay. He is abiding. He's abiding because we don't always know exactly what's going on in our lives. In fact, our lives are crazy a lot of times, and the silence can be so frustrating. It can work in our hearts, but if we stay with Jesus, if we abide in him, stay in our word, he will come, and he will give you the answers that you're seeking. 
You see, because there's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt which desires God's promise. I'm going to say that again. There's a huge difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt which desires God's promise. One more time, just because we need it. There is a big difference between my doubts that deny God's promise and my doubts which desire God's promises. God is going to, he's going to thoroughly answer Abraham with a conversation today. And by the end of it, Abraham's heart is going to be fully assured of what he believes and who he believes in. That's going to be the end of what we're going to study today. And so let's dive in. Let's see how God deals with Abraham's doubts. I'm going to, we're going to deal with three doubts today that Abraham had, and I've given a name to each one of them. The first one is the fear doubt. And you can, I could express this doubt with the question, what if God doesn't come through for me? What if God doesn't come through for me? I'm afraid. I'm afraid that God doesn't come through for me, isn't going to come through for me. Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So God begins by saying, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Jesus is called the word of God, isn't he? He's the word of the Lord in John. In fact, in John, he, he teaches us that he has always, Jesus has always existed from eternity past as the word of God. That's what his name was, the word. So when we read here that the word came to Abram in a vision, this is equal to saying that Abram had a conversation with Jesus. He had a conversation with Jesus. Jesus even said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. Now, he might have been talking about Melchizedek that we studied last week. Maybe Jesus actually was Melchizedek. We could, you could make an argument for that. But we know for sure that Jesus shows up here in a vision to Abraham. When God looks down from heaven and he sees a heart that's struggling, he is first full of compassion and love. He never looks down at someone who is full of doubt and says, what's this punk doing? No, he understands. He loves and he's full of compassion. And secondly, his solution for that heart that wanders or struggles or doubts is Jesus. I'm going to send you my solution is Jesus. So you may be thinking, all right, pastor, so you're telling me all my doubts, you're just going to throw that name Jesus in my face and say, Jesus is the answer, and that's all I got to believe. Well, in a sense, yes. But God just doesn't do that. God is going to take him on a journey. He's going to answer his questions. He's going to be so loving. He's going to be so gracious. It's not like Jesus is just a quick fix but it is a thorough fix. It's not a quick fix, but it is a thorough fix. God's word 
Jesus, he exhorts Abraham to not fear. And he gives him two reasons. So if you're thinking in your mind, I live with anxiety, I live with fear, I live with this fear doubt, I want you to pay close attention to these two reasons God gives to Abraham. He doesn't just say, pull it together, man. Like the, the movie Airplane. You guys remember the, the lady that's having an anxiety attack or a breakdown on airplane? And instead of someone coming to her and, and calming her down, they, they make a line of everyone who, who's yelling at her and shaking her. And they, get, they start slapping her and hitting her. They start bringing out like baseball bats. And the nun has a baseball bat. It's really funny. But that's not how God says, snap out of it. No, he gives practical things to stand on. He gives us something to grasp our hands around with faith and say, no, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to fear because of this. And it's these two truths. Number one, I am your shield. And number two, I am your exceedingly great reward. He's saying, Abraham, Abram, Abraham, he's going to be Abraham in a chapter. Just hang on. I know things look dangerous, but they're not. I am protecting you, and I always will. Nothing can happen to you that I don't allow. But does that scare you? I'm asking you, does that scare you? It would only scare you if you don't understand or believe God's perfect and never-failing love. You see, we think things look dangerous, Abraham, he, he has practical reasons to think that there is danger right around the corner. He just fought a war against five kings. He just ticked them all off. They could come back at any moment. And God says, do not fear. It's not dangerous, Abraham. Just wait until you see what I do when I want to judge someone. He's going to see something happen pretty soon here with Sodom and Gomorrah. But God is our protector. God is our shield. All of our fears are unfounded. One thing we're told to fear, fear him who can cast you into hell. That's the only thing. One thing. And when we understand and when we believe that his love will not fail us, that he will not let anything happen to us that he doesn't want, then it will help us to not be afraid and it will help us to realize the real issue is trust. The real issue is do you trust God? Do you trust that God might want you to suffer a little bit? Do you trust that he still loves you if he wants you to suffer a little bit? That's a life of faith, and it, it relieves our fear because then you can suffer a, an immeasurable amount, and you always know that God loves you, and it doesn't break that down, and you're never alone in your suffering. Your eyes can always go back to Jesus and say, he is my rock, he's my example, and that's why I can stand right now in this suffering. That's how it works. His love. If we believe it, we can suffer. He is our shield. Also, he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. 
Abraham, I know that you just gave up a huge reward from the king of Sodom for my sake. If you remember the end of our study last week, the king of Sodom came to him and said, oh, you can have everything that you, all of my stuff that you acquired in that battle, just give me the souls, the people. And Abraham's like, no, you're, I'm not going to say that you made me rich. And so Abraham, he gave up on this, these great rewards because he wanted his identity to be from God. He wanted everything to be, that he got to be from God. And so God said, I know you just gave up this huge reward. So I promise you, Abraham, that I will reward you with something infinitely more valuable, myself. I will reward you with myself. In other words, it will be worth it. You put your trust in me, Abraham, that's awesome. It's going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it to you. So, the fear doubts. God says, this is the answer. I'm your shield. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to make it worth it. So if those kings do come back, notice God doesn't promise him that the kings aren't going to come and attack him. God doesn't promise him he's not going to get leprosy and die. God does not promise him any of those things are not going to happen to him. But he does promise him that I'm your shield and I am your reward. I'm going to protect you. What happens to you is going to be my will, and it will be worth it. Both of those things draw Abraham back to a relationship with God. Not, not one of fear, but one based on love. Okay, God, you love me. So fear then becomes cast out. Jesus said, perfect love, or John said, perfect love casts out all fear. Now we get to the second doubt, okay? That was the first doubt, the fear doubt. The second doubt is the interpretation doubt. That's what I've named it. And the question to help us understand that is this question. What if I heard wrong? What if I heard wrong? Verse 2, Abraham said, but Abraham said, Lord, God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So basically saying, okay, Lord, you're protecting me and it's going to be worth it. Great. I'm not afraid anymore. But I don't really see this promise you made coming true. And there's no real evidence that you're doing it right now. It's been 15 years of just waiting in silence. So did I hear you wrong or something? Did, did you mean that it was just going to be someone from my house? Because that's where it's at right now. That's where my life is at right now. Or did you really mean that I would have a child? I'm getting old, God. Is this really what you meant? In verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. So God answers Abraham's request for clarification with a clear answer. Again, by his word, by Jesus. Is there something confusing you? Keep asking the Lord and seeking him in his word, in the Bible. And Jesus said, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him 
with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing if I desire to the Lord that I will, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. So we're seeing an exhortation to, to seek him with all our heart and with our soul, to inquire, to ask about these questions. If you need clarification on anything having to do with your life, the Bible, your spiritual life, come to Jesus and ask. You can come to your friends too, but I don't know that your friends will lead you in the way everlasting. You can go to your pastor. If he's a good pastor, he'll point you to Jesus. Jesus has the answers, and he's willing to give them. Verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. So now the Lord reinforces the promise that Abraham needs to believe with an illustration. He says, not only am I just going to speak completely clear to you and say that guy is not going to be your heir, but one from your body is going to be your heir. Not only is the promise just going to be totally clear, but I'll give you an illustration. He's not trying to hide anything from Abraham. And I think we need to understand that. God is not trying to hide anything from you. And you might think, well, how is that possible? He's given me this Bible and it's full of illustrations. It is full of illustrations. But those illustrations only point us and help illustrate the very clear truths that the Bible teach, which is that God loves you and has died for your sins. And all the illustrations they're very clear that they are illustrations. God is trying to help us to understand something. He is revealing in every way that he can. If God wanted to hide himself and hide his will from us, he would not have given us the Bible. That's the truth. God wants you to know his will. And it's not hard. His will is easy. His will is wonderful. And he wants us to know himself. And those, both of those, he's provided one way for that to happen. Through the word of God. Through the church teaching the word of God. And illustrating the word of God with our own lives. It's all through the word of God. So verse 6, and he believed the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. All right, Abraham says, I'm in. I believe you, God. You said it, you explained it, you illustrated it even. You obviously care what I think about everything. So I believe. God didn't just say, believe me or die. No, he said, believe me. And here's some reasons, here's some illustrations. Most of all, here's my heart. And Abraham said, I'm in. And then God says, is accounted it to him for righteousness. That, that means that God was able to give Abraham everything he needed because Abraham believed him when he spoke. Abraham is not, or he is now right 
in every way before God because of faith. Nothing Abraham did, but simply because he believed. And we're going to unpack this verse next Sunday. We're not going to spend a lot of time. This requires an entire Bible study for just this one verse, and we don't have time for that now. So we're going to move on, but come back next week for that verse and see how amazingly, because basically the entire New Testament is about that verse. So we'll, we'll read the entire New Testament next week. Verse 7, then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So now we're going to get to the next doubt, which is a big one. This is called the fulfillment doubt. The fulfillment doubt. And I would illustrate it with this question. God, what if I'm not good enough? That's a good question. And I know that many of us have asked that question. God, what if I screw up? What if I mess up? Verse 8, he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? I've heard your promise, God. And I believe that you love me. I believe you're protecting me. I believe you're there. I believe that, that I haven't heard wrong. I believe you have a promise for me, for my family, for my marriage, for my life. But God, how am I going to inherit this? I am a goober. I mess up all the time. God, I just went down into Egypt. I just told Pharaoh she was my sister, my wife, and now our marriage is probably on the rocks. She's not too happy with me. God, I, I mess up all the time. That's just one picture of how badly I mess up. I think that if it depends on me, I will mess it up. How shall I know? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? DC talk, boom. Will this still happen? That was my first CD, DC Talk, Jesus Freak. There you go. My mom thought it was too rock and roll for me. Will this happen? <laughs> I'd like to understand how it could be. How can I know that I won't mess everything up? Verse 9, so we said to him, this is God's answer, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Totally makes sense, right? Levi Lusco at our pastor's conference uh, remarks, this is one strange shopping list. I agree. I, didn't, I don't understand. See, we don't immediately understand what all this is for, what God is saying here, but Abraham surely did because the book of Jeremiah teaches us that this was the common way that contracts were signed in the East. They would get these animals, and verse 10, then he brought all these animals, and he cut them in two down the middle, and he placed each one opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Of course. Don't know why, but. So they would cut these animals in half, they would make a little path between the two halves, 
And the way contracts were signed in the East is each person would say the terms of the contract as they were walking through the dead animals, signifying that if they broke their word of the contract, that they would be cut in two. Serious contracts, okay? That's how they did it. So God is basically saying, I hear your doubt that you're concerned about your performance. So let's make a deal. Let's sign a contract. And then verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So while Abram is waiting for God to do something, some vultures come down and start trying to eat. And to me, these vultures are an image or a type for us of Abram's doubts. I think they represent his doubts. And I think God was waiting and he allowed the vultures to come to show Abraham that his own heart now believed and that the doubts had been chased away by the rod of God's faithfulness. I picture Abraham picking up a rod and chasing these birds away, because Abraham was a crazy, you know. But I just picture that in my mind. Abraham, and I think he grasped the rod which he, with which he drove these vultures away by faith. He believed God's word. He believed God, God's answers to the first two doubts. And so God is saying, you know what, Abraham? You can just drive those doubts away now because you have faith. And you might have been sitting here today thinking, all right, I get you. There's some answers. There's some answers. So now God is going to wait a little bit, and he's going to let your life continue to be kind of lame for a little while, and your doubts will still be there, and the vultures of your doubts will come, and they'll land on this. We're going to see this contract, this agreement that God says he wants to have with us, and you're going to have an opportunity to take the rod of faith in your hand and drive away those doubts. Just beat them. Just smack them in the head. Birds die pretty easy. One, they, they fly into my window sometime and die. It's so sad. My wife cries. But, or when we're driving on the road and you hit them with your car, they die. We can kill our doubts with faith. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. They will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God here, he fills Abraham in on, on his awesome plan for Abraham's children. It's like he was so excited to tell all that he was doing that he couldn't wait to tell his friend. Have you ever been like that? You got something planned and you just can't wait to tell your friend? Well, that's how God is kind of acting here. He's like, Abraham, I got some great stuff for your kids planned. Just wait and see. And so by telling Abraham this prophecy, he provides all his children, everyone that's going to come from Abraham's body, all the children of Israel, 
He provides for them a promise to hang on to when things get really difficult because they are going to get brutal. They're going to get so difficult. Just like we always have the word to hang on to, we always have that. We always have God's promises, even when horror and great darkness fall upon us. It fell upon Abraham, and so upon all his children. There was going to be tough times, horror and great darkness. Even when we feel like strangers, as Abraham's children were, even like even when we are serving jerks, like the children of Israel were slaves, even when we are afflicted, God says, here's my promises to you. God will judge, you will be blessed, and you will have peace. That will be the end of your life in Christ, in Jesus. God's going to judge everything. He's going to make everything right. You will be blessed and you will have peace. And I don't know how all that is going to eventually happen practically in your life and in my life. But I know if we follow Jesus, that's the end because that's God's promise. And there may be horror and great darkness and slavery and affliction. And I don't care. Because God's promise will come true and we will be blessed. That's what we stand on. That's why Christianity is so different from the world, from everything that they have to answer. Because they have to work for their blessings. And we just say we have it when we believe in Jesus. We will have it. It will end good for us. Does that mean you'll die rich? No, that's not what we're talking about. Real blessings. The blessings of eternal life, heaven, and the rewards that follow that. But we still have not answered. Oh, here, let me, uh, sorry, go back one second. He says a very interesting phrase. He says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God, the Amorites were a people that lived there in the promised land. And so God is telling Abraham, listen, I'm going to send you guys down to a foreign land, which we know is going to be Egypt. For 400 years, you're going to be down there, and you're going to be growing into a nation. You're going to start with 70 people. You're going to end with a couple million. It's going to be pretty awesome. But up here, there's still some people that I care about. And God gave the Amorites a message to repent. And he gave them 400 years to repent. Now think about it. America's been a nation for how long? I don't know. Like someone tell me. Like 240. All right. Thanks, Steve. Well, for, so double the amount of time that America has been a nation. So we think of George Washington. We think that was like a long time ago when men wore like curly white wigs and stuff. I mean, this is like ancient, no iPhones at all. And so it's like, we can't even fathom how long this is, but that's the amount of time that God gave these Amorites, his beloved Amorites time to repent, but the Amorites didn't. The Amorites continued to sacrifice their children. That was their, their thing that they liked to do. They liked to have a baby and then burn it on the altars of Molech to worship and say, we can have fun and we don't have to worry about the consequences. That was their whole thing. And God loved them and he gave them 400 years, but we know that God does judge. 
And after 400 years of his loving kindness, his patience, and his bearing with them, saying, no, don't kill. No, you don't. Oh, that one was going to be. Oh, don't kill. After 400 years of that, God said, you know what? This is over. I'm sorry. But your nation is now judged. And those 400 years go by. And then God used the nation of Israel to judge them. And see, every, the liberal theologians, the liberal people who look at the Bible, they say, God told, the, they told, God told them to kill the people when they went in the promised land. I can't follow a God who says people should die. But they don't understand that God had lived patiently and born with their sin for 400 years and that the time of his judgment had come and he used Israel as the hand of his judgment. Nobody complains about the Nazis getting judged. Have you ever heard anyone say, I can't believe God gave the, the allies victory over the Nazis? No, nobody does. Why? Because we all think they should have been judged. And that's the exact same situation. God can judge, and he will judge. And his judgments are always right. He's never wrong. Now, whether you agree with his judgments or not, he doesn't really care. Because he knows he does what's right. So, they will be judged, these Amorites. But we still have not answered Abraham's doubts. Remember the doubt, the fulfillment doubt? What if I'm not good enough? Then the, he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? But this is the, how God answers it. Verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down, as it was dark, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land for from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It's a very real promise, real people, real places. But God here, he appears as a burning torch and a smoking oven. And he passes through the, the animals all by himself. Abraham saw this, and he could not take part in the covenant. Why? Because God was a burning oven and a smoking torch. Even if Abraham wanted to get in there and get into part of the covenant, it couldn't happen because God's glory, God's fury, God's passion were too great, and Abraham had to stay away. He could only watch it. Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. This means that the covenant was all dependent on God's faithfulness and not Abraham's. Not on anything that Abraham could do or would ever be required of him. Abraham already did what was required of him, which was believe. So Abraham could never void a contract that he never signed. Abraham could never void a contract that he never signed. David Guzak helps us to understand this by saying this, by entering into this contract, there is a sense in which God is saying, if I don't keep my word, let me be cut in half. God was putting his deity on the line in his confirmation of his oath to Abraham. So God's answer to Abraham's doubt in his own faithfulness is answered. God says, Abraham, 
I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry. I'll take care of it. I will do everything required to give you all that I have told you that I will give you. This is not a two-sided contract. And God could have said, trust me, Abraham, I know better than you how you would fail if I put you in charge of keeping anything. Abraham, you are a goober. But you're a goober that trusts in me. And so I'll do it all. I am going to do absolutely everything for you. This is a one-sided covenant. It is, and it, exa- is, it is exactly how the new covenant works with you and me today. It is one-way love. Not the two-way love that we experience so often in this world that we live in. Where people say, you, you pay me a thousand bucks a month and I will give you a house. You perform at work, you can still have a job. You keep your vows and I'll stay married to you. Two-way covenants are everywhere. And they make sense. They're not bad. We need them in this world. But God's covenant is so much different. It is a one-way covenant. And I'm sure it blew Abraham's mind and blessed his heart. Because he no longer had to doubt his own fulfillment, his own abilities. He was free to just be who he was. He was going to get everything he would ever need, everything he could ever see, every place he could walk to was his possession. And it was totally guaranteed by God, and not just by an oral promise, but by a literal covenant, a signed contract, signed in blood. God took care of it with the blood. Oh, this is so good with the new covenants because it's exactly what happens with you and me. We don't have just some word of mouth to depend on that God is going to save us from our sins or that God will change us into a good person through his grace. No, we have an actual covenant signed with actual blood when Jesus nailed our sins to the cross. Amen? Yes. And it changes everything. Instead of a constant burden to have to live up to some expectations to keep his end of the bargain, Abraham is totally free to just be who he was. And you know what that does in a heart? It creates a heart that says, huh, I love you, God. Just like Les Mis. You guys seen that movie? Read the book, I guess I should say. It's a notorious tearjerker, right? Because it speaks of this very thing. And if you think back with me, Jean Valjean was a criminal. He gets out of prison and he has no intention of being right. He's, he, he's homeless and he goes and the only person that will take him in is this pastor. And this pastor comes and takes him in and says, you can stay here and I'll give you food. But Jean Valjean, he's evil, he's wicked, and so... He steals the gold from the church, and he leaves. The cop guy, I forget his name. Anyone know? Not John Valjean, but the other guy, Russell Crowe. He, <laughs> Russell Crowe finds him and catches him. That's the law. I mean, the law, just he's guilty. Jean Valjean is guilty as all get out. And he catches him. He takes him back to the priest and says, look what we found. We got Jean Valjean. He is guilty. But the priest 
shows Jean Valjean this amazing love, just like God has shown Abraham and God shows us, but the priest shows Jean Valjean by saying, he didn't steal anything from me. In fact, he didn't take the candlesticks I wanted him to take too. And he chastises Jean Valjean for not taking the candlesticks. And Jean Valjean, is, he's just blown away. He is devastated. His entire world is destroyed in one second. And the cop is like, oh, I know this. The law says you're guilty still. And he's like, yeah, I am. And this totally changes his heart. Because for the rest of the movie, Jean Valjean is the hero. He is selfless. He goes and he saves people. He rescues people. He loves people. Why? Because someone showed him one-way love that, that, that is not, doesn't require anything in return. And you're like, man, I didn't know Les Mis was about the Bible. Yes. It's about Jesus. It's amazing when you show this kind of love that God shows to us, to you and to me, us miserable sinners, we're prisoners. What it does, he just wipes everything out, and what it does is it creates a heart that loves him in return. That is how the new covenant works. The law, it can produce people who want to try really hard, but, but as hard as they try, they don't love God. They might want to obey him, but they don't love him. The new covenant of grace builds a heart of love inside of us. The answer to our doubts is always the one-way love that God has for us. It encompasses all that he has done for us and promised to do for us. And it's, all of his promises are simply bound up in the person of Jesus. It's amazing how simple God has made things for us. So I said at the beginning, God brings the word of the Lord as your answer. And yes, that's Jesus. So yes, Jesus is the answer to all your doubts. But it's amazing how thorough that that answer is. There is one way, it's just Jesus. There's one path, it's just Jesus. There's one step, not 12, it's Jesus. There's one thing, one requirement. Jesus was the requirement for your salvation. And all we have to do is believe Jesus. Not believe in Jesus. That only qualifies you to be a demon. No, believe Jesus that he was talking to you when he said your sins will be forgiven if you believe. That he was talking to you. When he is the word of God and he comes to you and says, I love you, I've done it all, trust in my works, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Abraham did. And that's the same way our covenant with God works. God did everything for us. He walked through the bloody animals by himself, all by himself. That's what he did when he died on the cross. He walked through the bloody animals for us. He signed the contract for us. Now he promises to each one of us today a victorious Christian life, a life that honors God, freedom from a life dominated by sin. 
And how do we get it? The same way that Abraham took possession of all that God had promised him. He just walked. He walked there. Everywhere he walked, God said, you have it. That's yours. Everywhere you can see, I'll give you. Just stay in the promised land where I, where I am. We just walk by faith. We keep walking by faith. Abraham believed God, so he stayed in that promised land. He hung out with his wife, and before you know it, he had a kid. Actually, it's going to be 15 years later, and there's a little incident between there. We'll get to that. But in the, the process of this promise becoming a reality in his life, it took time. It took time. 15 years is still going to take before Isaac is born. That is a long time. So don't get impatient about the time God spends developing the garden of your faith. Whenever we are hard on ourselves because of our lack of growth, it means that we think part of the covenant belongs to us to accomplish. That's what it means. So if you look at your life and you're disappointed with how you perform in godliness, we're here to say today, you're free. God will fulfill his promise in his time. Do you believe that God will do that? Yes. Then just hang out. Keep coming to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep spending time with Jesus. And that garden of your faith, Jesus is a really good green thumb. I mean, he's excellent at developing our lives and bringing that obedience into our lives. If we only knew and trusted and could simply abide in Christ and believe all that he's done for us, then that belief transforms us and gives us the land in front of us. We will live in the victory that Jesus has bought for us when we believe. We'll end with a verse. It's Romans 6.14. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to uh, open up communion. But I wanted to have us... Read this verse, and we're going to end with this verse. Romans 6.14 says, and I'll just read it to you guys, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Abraham was not under the law. The law hadn't even been invented or given yet. And yet he had God's grace. And it's such a wonderful picture of us of how we can live in the promised land, how we can learn Genesis 15 for our lives. So important. Well, we now have a time of communion. So we got the, the crackers and the juice over here. And, and throughout this week, I've been reading this book on, listening to this book on uh, the Lord's Table and communion. It's been really amazing for me to learn and, and to uh, see the Lord prepare me. And I just want to say real quick that the Lord invites you, he invites you to meet with him. Like we learned last week with Melchizedek, he invited him to have the bread and wine together. So not only does he invite you, but he does everything for you. So do you want and need forgiveness? Ask the Lord for it and go receive. Do you need God to, to fix something in your heart? Ask the Lord for it and go receive it. This is how we practically take hold of that rod and get rid of our doubts.
the communion table. All right? So let the Lord minister to you in the communion table. As we start to sing, just come down at your own when, when you want to and, and get it. And if your husbands, if you want to serve your wives, that would be a, a glorious thing. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll end our time with a couple songs. Father, we thank you so much for leading us and guiding us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for changing us through your love. God, for creating a heart that, that loves you in response. God, we, none of us, tried hard to love you. None of us have ever succeeded in performing up to your standards. So, Lord God, it's such a, a beautiful, freeing, wonderful thing to just say, okay, God, I'm in. I believe that you loved me. I believe that you still love me and that you will give me your promises that you will give me forgiveness of my sins. Lord, I confess that I sin every day. I confess that my heart is sinful. And Lord, I need so much for your spirit to come and to renew me, bring me forgiveness. Lord, I want your spirit to bear witness in my heart that, that my sins are forgiven. If this is the first time in your life that you're coming to the Lord, and you're, you're believing his promises. Maybe you've never even heard his promises that, that he will wipe away your sin. I beseech you on behalf of Christ to be forgiven. Accept what he has done for you on the cross and simply pray, Lord, I believe. Lord, forgive me. Lord, receive me as your child. If a king wants to forgive everyone in his kingdom, he sends out messengers saying, you are forgiven. I think of a kingdom that has rebelled against the king's leadership, a kingdom that has been wicked, done many evil things. And God sends out these messengers and says, tell my people that I love them and that I forgive them. All that has been needed for them to be forgiven has been taken care of by my son. But I want my messengers to go out and to tell people that they're forgiven. That's what I am today for you. So my words bear as much weight as the God of the universe if he were standing here saying, come and be reconciled to me. Come and accept what Jesus has done. So if God were here pleading with you, that's how I plead with you today. That's how I hope you hear my words, to come and be reconciled with God. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we respond to your great love for us. We thank you for your word, and I pray you would make it alive in our hearts this week. Make this week be incredible for us. I pray for our men's study on Wednesday morning. I pray that you would put it in the hearts of many of the men here to, to come and join me and spend time in your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be blessed by your spirit. And pray for all the things we got going on this week. Lord, that it would be done all out of love. Just as Jean Valjean served and loved his world because of the love that was shown to him, I pray we would do the same thing. God, we need you. God, we trust you. In your name we pray, amen.